So the first reading is from Matthew 6, 5 to 14. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And the second reading is from Colossians 1, 15 to 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Well, uh, good morning to you all. It's uh, great to be in uh in Alveston, certainly I uh, always enjoyed coming up this side of Tasmania. <clears throat> I think I was first here in 1990, so I've been around for quite some time actually. I was a, bit, a lot younger then, uh, but I uh, normally make myself available to uh, churches if there's a vacancy, and uh, yeah, it's just good to be here. So we just uh, read these two wonderful passages of Scripture, particularly the Lord's Prayer. It's interesting, the Lord's Prayer, uh, when I was young, we used to uh, pray the Lord's Prayer before a meal. I don't know whether you come from that tradition. Uh, but before a meal, uh, particularly in the evening, we'd, we'd, we'd pray the Lord's Prayer as a family and then we'd, we'd eat. And then we'd have a devotion. Uh, and then after the devotion, there'd be another prayer. And that was how we sort of uh, worshipped as a family uh, around mealtime. So it's, uh, it's a good prayer. And it's, I think it's a, it's a prayer that we should use, use daily. And of course, uh, that passage in Colossians, that, that wonderful passage where God has really inspired Paul to um, tell us about 
the, the Lord Jesus Christ is that particular passage that we'll be focusing on on this morning. I'll just grab a drink. <clears throat> uh, I guess the other thing I should say about myself is, um, so I'm from Hobart. The last uh, church I was in was Blackman's Bay. Uh, and so I always had the uh, work in churches where they couldn't afford full-time ministers. So I was in Hobart when they were poor. And then they uh, sort of grew and uh, had a full-time minister. And same with Bay. Bay was about to close down. And so I went to Bay and ministered there. Uh, and uh, as another work I did, I, I, ran, I run Hobart Marriage Counselling, actually. So I'm also a psychotherapist and I do um, marriage counselling. So I've sort of got these two jobs. So I've retired from ministry, so cool. Uh, but still doing um, marriage counselling. So the Lord's been good. So there's only one image of God. Now, um, in the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican of Rome, now some of you might know this, in the Sistine Chapel there's a, there's a painting on the ceiling. And it's, uh, it's a painting by Michelangelo. Now, some of you might know this painting. So he's, what he did, he painted God on a cloud and he's got his hand out and then Adam's on another cloud and they sort of nearly... Do you know the painting? Anyway, it's, it's a very famous uh, painting by Michelangelo. And in that painting, God is depicted as, a, as an elderly white uh, male uh, with long flowing white hair, a long flowing white beard, and he's sort of dressed... Uh, in a gown, and he's sort of reaching out to Adam. Now, the problem with that painting is, is that if I decide to grow my hair long and decide to grow a white beard and decide to wear some sort of a brown gown, I could look like God. Now, that's a problem. That's a problem if, if somehow that's what uh, God is supposed to look like. So what Michelangelo painted is absolutely nothing uh, that God looks like. Not a thing. It it, it really is a figment of Michelangelo's uh, imagination. Uh, He made this up because that's nothing uh, what God looks like. Uh, But yet many people have this picture of God in their minds. And not only that, but... Other painters have also somehow depicted God. They also always seem to depict God as a white elderly male with a white beard and, and long hair. And really, it's nothing uh, what the Father looks like. So I'm going to show you uh, my picture of God. I actually brought it along. You didn't see me bring it, but here it is. It's been leaning against here. So here, here is my picture of God. I'll hang it on a sky hook. There it is, so you can see. This is my, uh, my picture of God. Now, my picture of God is a far truer representation of God than Michelangelo ever painted. In fact, it's the best picture of God you'll ever see. Because God's invisible. That's why this is a wonderful picture of God, and that's what God is. God is invisible. We cannot see God. My picture of God, a truer form. When you think about God, 
or when you pray to God, what or who uh, comes into your mind? Well, what I'd like to do this morning is to help you develop a very clear biblical image of God so that when you think of God or when you pray to God, it's clear to you who you are praying to. What we don't want is a picture or a painting or some kind of visual image of God. What we need is a clear thought about who God is. That's what we need when we pray to God. Now in God's word we read, and God makes this very clear to us, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Now it's also interesting that we uh, read in uh, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, this is a very familiar passage, in fact this uh, particular passage has been made into a song I remember in the 70s when they first started doing scripture and song, there was this song, For unto us a child is born. You remember it? Unto us a son is given. <laughs> That's one of the first. It's also in Handel's Messiah, actually. Oh, unto us a child. Anyway, that's a song. Handel's Messiah is brilliant. But it, when, you, when you think about the words of Isaiah 9, verse 6, it says here, For unto us a child is born... To us the Son is given. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this passage tells us that the human child born of the Virgin Mary, this child is God. He is the image of God the Father, because it says in Isaiah, Everlasting Father. He is the image of the Holy Spirit, the wonderful counsellor. He is the Prince of Peace himself, the Son of God. And then it says, the child is mighty God. So the child is, the man Jesus encompasses God. The Son of God described by these titles. Is this, and the reason why it's described by these titles is because this is exactly who Jesus is. And we also read that he is Emmanuel. So whatever we read about Jesus, uh, so all the characteristics and the attributes, the works, the words, the life of Jesus while he was on earth, as he is presented in the Gospels, as Jesus is presented from Genesis all the way to Revelation, as Jesus uh, presented in the letters of Paul, Peter, James and John, when we think of God, we need to attribute to God who Jesus is. When we think of God, there's only one reference point for us to build an image of God on, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other image. No other image. Beyond Jesus, there's only the invisible, the unknowable, 
the inconceivable by us human beings, mere human beings of who God is. And the invisible God is not some white-bearded white man with white long hair. That and all other ill-conceived images of God that we have in our minds, if we can, we've got to push the delete button and get rid of them somehow. These images of God that, 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 that have been made by man. I mean, God commanded the Israelites, and it applies to us still today in the second commandment, you shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything. Don't do it. God sent to the earth in human form the only one image that represents God to us, the eternal Son of God. So that's the image, first part of our message this morning. Now in the text, Paul goes on to explain that the Son of God is the supreme, the firstborn in all creation. So the Son of God is above all. In him, we read, all things were created. So Jesus is Elohim, as we find it, God plural in the Hebrew. And in Genesis 1 where it says, in the beginning God created, this is where we are introduced to the Son of God. Genesis 1. For in him all things were created. We find this in John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The image that we need to have of the Creator God is the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only was Jesus the creator of all things mentioned in the six days of creation, and uh, I marvel at what God created in six days, the universe. I don't know whether you, any of you here have been keeping up with the James Webb Telescope or the Hubble Space Telescope, if you've seen the, the, the images of stars. Like There's just so many. Uh, and you know what? We read that in Psalm 147, each star that God has created is numbered and named. Named. Each star. Trillions of them. Each star, God knows each star. The, 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 he's numbered. He's, each one's got a name. And more than that, not one of them is alike. So not one star is like another star. We read that in 1 Corinthians 15. Stars differ from stars in splendor. Amazing when you think of, of God's creation, how, how glorious and how great God is. And so we read this. And then the Bible speaks of us, as we mentioned also, being created in his image. And it's not just the physical creation that God has created, also the invisible things, angelic spiritual beings, thrones, powers, authorities, all, every one of them established by God through 
the eternal Son. All things. And in him, Jesus, all things hold together. So what we have is that God holds it all together. And so that we can see in the Old Testament how God has held all things together. And so in the Old Testament, we have Old Testament history and we love reading about it. And there's all sorts of powers and, and, and all sorts of things that human beings do, but God holds it all together to make sure that Christ comes, that Christ fulfills prophecy, that he's born, crucified, that he rises again on the third day. That's what we read in the Old Testament. God is supreme there. And in the New Testament, us, God now holds all things together in such a way that the bride, the church of Christ, is prepared for the groom. This is how God's holding things together for us. And we're part of that journey. We're part of the church, the bride, that is being prepared for the groom. Now, some of you might be thinking about particularly the war in Ukraine at the moment. What, what, what's happening there? Well, it's really good to read there because despite what human beings do, as we see in the Old Testament and as we see in the life of Christ, God will receive the glory. And even in this war in Ukraine, it's about Christ. It's about his church. It's about Jesus preparing the bride. And if you read of what the Christians are doing in Ukraine, you get really encouraged. You really get encouraged. Because people are turning to faith. Yes, Putin's doing lots of things up here, but God, Christ, is preparing his bride, even in the midst of war. And this is where he is supreme. He is the head of the church, preparing the church uh, for the day of his return. So the one who creates it, holds it all together. Look at the one who does that. It's, 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 it's God who's, who's driven by sacrificial love. God is love, and it's love that motivates God, and it's love that holds it all together. And we, we, we put our faith in that, and we can see it in the cross. The other thing that we, we, we read in Colossians is, is God is completely opposite to anything that comes from humanity. No one even comes close to who Jesus is. Pure, selfless love, compassion, grace and mercy. And then there's even more love and even more mercy. As we read the Gospels, we see that in the Lord Jesus. This is who God is. This is who God is. So what a glorious image of God. And what confidence that gives us when we put our faith in him. Paul goes on to describe Jesus. Now through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, all, we read in the passage, all things were reconciled. Now we know even in, uh, from Romans that the whole of creation suffered when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. Romans 8 verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration. It was in bondage of decay. Now Jesus broke 
the bondage of decay on the cross. All things on earth and in heaven reconciled, brought together uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the next part of the passage, it becomes personal. It's about you and I. So what we read there is that we were born in sin, alienated from God. We inherited this from Adam and Eve. In fact, we're born enemies of God in our minds due to our inherent evil behavior. So what we have, we have human beings, the pinnacle of God's creation, made in his own image, and they became enemies of God, opposing God, even hating God. And we see this so clearly in our society today. I have many uh, non-Christian friends. They don't want to know. They want to know me, but they don't want to know about God. They don't want to know about God's ways. In fact, there is complete opposition to God in many. They just blaspheme his name, swear, curse. In fact, 2 Timothy 3 sums it up very well, what people are like today. People are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, treacherous, conceited. And some people even reject how God has created them as, as, as man and woman. Uh, but as, as, as Christians, sometimes we need to look in the mirror and see ourselves in the light of this description and, and, and make sure this doesn't describe us. That would not be good. Where are we? When Paul writes this to Timothy. Well, despite who we are and despite our failings, we read God reconciles such enemies to himself. So what we've got, we've got all these people out there with their evil and corrupt thoughts, driving their evil and corrupt thoughts and words and behaviour. So they're anti-God. And so with such enemies, God makes peace. Amazing. God makes peace. God the Son makes peace through his blood, so he dies for these people who are his enemies. Those who believe, those who put their faith in God's anointed, Christ the Lord, those who put their faith in him. Now get this. I love this part of the passage. Those who put their faith in him are holy in his sight, without blemish and free of accusation. Holy. Do you, do you consider yourself holy? I don't think too many of us have put our hands up if I said, are you holy? In God's sight. Because of Christ's complete work, it's, a, it's complete work that Jesus did, you are holy in God's sight. So when God looks at you, he sees holy. When God 
looks at you, he sees you without blemish. There's not one blemish on you. Nothing to look for. No blemish. And free of accusation. This is the glorious gospel. This is the good news. Imagine, you're holy, there's not a blemish on you, and you're, no one can point the finger at you. That, that's what free of accusation means, by the way. No one can point the finger and say, you? No, no. No, free of accusation. That's the complete work of the Lord. This is who God is. This is who God is. And this is who we are before him because of the great work that he's done. God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free of accusation. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Freely given to us through faith in Jesus. Not by works. Faith. It's yours through faith. This is who God is. This is God to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, we clearly see God. Now, I want to connect this passage to the Lord's Prayer. The reason why I want to connect this passage to the Lord's Prayer is because we address God, our Father who art in heaven. Now, think about what happens sometimes when we address our Father who art in heaven. We kind of separate the Father at that point, uh, and Jesus teaches us to address him as our Father. But how are we to understand and, and how are we to see the Father in heaven? Now, I've heard people say, when you pray our Father, it's, it's good to imagine, this is, what, this is what I've heard people say, it's good to imagine or, or have an image of the most loving, kind, caring Father you can think of, and that is who the God, the Father is. That instruction, and any such instruction, is, I'm afraid, completely wrong. Like, that's just the wrong way to instruct people to see the Father. In fact, I would so, uh, go so far to say it's actually blasphemous. You're actually taking God's name in vain when you do that with such an instruction. And in the end, up, you'll end up with some kind of idol God in your mind about how the Father might be, which is not what we want. That instruction is wrong. When you pray, Our Father, you must only ever have in your heart and mind the only true image of God, which is the Son. That's what Paul tells us. And when you think of Isaiah, everlasting father, Jesus was born, the father, the everlasting father, the son is a perfect image of the father too, you see. The father. Jesus himself said, I and the father are one. That's what he said in John 10.30. And in John 14, verse 9, to Philip, Jesus says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Have you seen Jesus? 
You understand who Jesus is and you understand. That, that's where you understand who the Father is, through Christ. It's good to connect the Lord's Prayer when we address God the Father with the exact representation of his being, the complete person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with the understanding that Jesus has been given the rule and the authority, our Father, God who is in heaven. There's only one image of the Father in heaven for us, and that is the eternal Son of God. So when we pray our Father in heaven, we need to think, just think about Christ actually. Think about the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, when you say our Father right in heaven. How can, I, how can I think about our Father? What do you think of Jesus? That's, that's what the Bible tells us. And so we, when we hallow the name of God, so hallowed be thy your name. We, hallow, we declare holy and glorious the name of God because of who God is, of who God is in creation, in him holding all things together, in the reconciliation that he's made with his enemies. We hallow the name of God because he has reconciled all things to himself. We, we, we give praise and glory to him for that. Your kingdom come. The kingdom is the reign and the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who's risen. To him authority has been given. The servant king, his rule, is founded on who God is. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The image of God is Christ doing his sovereign will in heaven and Christ fulfilling his will on earth through the Holy Spirit who, who he's given to his followers, his disciples, the church, us. That's how God's will is done on earth. Give us today our daily bread. Christ is the image of God. He fed 3,000, then he fed 5,000. He also said, I am the bread of heaven. They that come to me will never hunger, never thirst. It's a good way. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We have. Before us, the one who reconciled with his blood shed on the cross, Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish. I'm going to say it again because I love these words, <laughs> free of accusation. Um, forgive us our sins. Yes, God does that. He forgives us. As we forgive those who sin against us, we need to give to others what God has given to us. We, we need to forgive to the point where we can all say, oh, it's fine, you're, you're, you're free of accusation. There's not a spot on you. What you've done to me is forgiven. Through the Son of God, forgiven freely by faith. Lead us not in temptation. Our time of testing in the Lord Jesus, we see in him how we overcome the evil one himself, through the word, through faith. Help, help us, Lord, in this one. We can see it in Christ. Deliver us from the evil one. Sin reigns in our world. The devil is a prince of the air. He reigns. Sin and the devil was defeated on the cross. But sin and the devil 
are now restrained by the authority and power of the Lord Jesus Christ in the lives of believers and say, yes, deliver us, Lord. We can see that Christ won over sin and death and the devil on the cross. Look, I've only got one message for you today. Just, just, just one message. It's helped me to understand this. There is no other God. Period. And there is only one image of God. There's only one image of God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think of God, when you try to imagine God, in the word imagine is the word image, when you image God in your thinking, in your reading, think of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Scripture teaches us. When we pray to God, the closing line we always use at the conclusion of a prayer is, in the name of Jesus, amen. We, we, we pray that way. We pray to God calling on the name of God. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the all-encompassing God in all his fullness. We see it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give glory, praise and honour to you, O God, and we thank you, O God, that you've revealed yourself to us. We thank you, O Christ, that you are the Eternal One, that you are God, that you came and lived among us. We thank you, O Christ, that we see clearly who you are in what you have done. We thank you, O Lord Jesus Christ, that you're willing to make reconciliation on our behalf, that you're willing to become human, that you're willing to take all our sins, every last one of them, on that cross, all our sins, not one, missed out. We thank you, O Lord Jesus for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf and that we may now be holy, free of blemish, spotless before you and free of accusations. Lord, this is the great and glorious gift that you've given to each one of us. I ask, Father, that those who may doubt this message, those who may not believe it or those who feel as if though they're undeserving here this morning, or those who cannot see themselves as being holy in your sight without blemish, that you would move in their hearts, O oh God, with your spirit, so that we may all be assured as we walk out of this building this morning. Yep, this is true. This is the great gift that you've given to us, O oh God, through faith. It shows us how gracious, how merciful and how kind you are. It's also the reason why we are here this morning. Because you've reconciled yourself to us. You reconciled yourself to us. 
so undeserving of any move of you towards us, and yet you love us so dearly. We're so precious in your sight. We're as precious to you as, as the very blood of your own son. How can that be? Lord, I ask that this may sit in our hearts and in our lives forever. That your Holy Spirit may affirm this to us and help us, O oh Lord, to live it, to live as forgiven people. Help us to live as people who have received your grace so freely. May we live as a people who know that we are loved by you. May there be joy in our hearts, even a gladness because of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.